Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Big day over here. It's a busy day. We've got people coming and going. They're banging on the doors. They're honking their car horns on the street. I just hope the neighbors don't call the police on us because it's that wild over here. We have a lot of guests today. We have fantastic beasts and where to find them. Uh, actually, we don't have the fantastic beasts, uh, but we do have the stars of this new prequel to the Harry Potter movies. It's called Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them. You'll meet in just a little while Ezra Miller and Catherine Waterston. You'll also meet David Yates, the director, and the star, Eddie Redmayne. A little bit later on, like quite a bit later on, you're going to meet Lily Collins and Warren Beatty. Lily Collins is an actor. She is the star of Rules Don't Apply. Warren Beatty is the writer, producer, director, and co-star of that same film. It's a nostalgic look at an aspiring actress, her limo driver boyfriend, and Howard Hughes, the eccentric billionaire that they both work for. We'll get to them in just a little while, and I've got Warren Beatty stories to tell and all that kind of stuff, so hang tight for that. First up, though, Fantastic Beasts. It's been five years since Harry Potter last displayed his wizarding ways on the big screen, and now J.K. Rowling is back with another adventure. The new film is a Potter prequel that follows the adventures of Newt Scamander, the author of the textbook Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That also happens to be the name of the movie. I had the chance to sit down and speak with a bunch of the members of the cast, including Ezra Miller and Catherine Waterston, and I asked them how J.K. Rowling had influenced them before they signed on to do this movie. Here's Ezra and Catherine. Uh, it's all... It's all quite a, a metaphysical endeavor for me because it's hard for me to extricate J.K. Rowling and her work from any aspect of my life from the time that I was seven. I mean, the story played such an enormous role that for me, I feel like I could give her credit for all sorts of things that have happened in my life that I'm grateful for. Um, really, I think that she, she gave those of us who uh, partook of her work as young people, um, young people who have these natural gifts, uh, a sense of justice and morality, um, a sense of wonder, a sense of imagination. A lot of us lose these gifts as we grow old and you look around and adults are boring and tired and jaded and disillusioned. Uh, and I personally feel that J.K. Rowling gave us a means by which to portage those in inherent gifts of childhood over the wilderness into our adult lives. And that's important for me as an artist that I have those capacities still with me. And to be able to access them. So I essentially... Give her credit. Give her credit for my entire career in life. And identity. <laughs> in, a, in a minor, but uh, <laughs> substantial way. <laughs> Catherine? Yeah. <laughs> and for you. Same here. <laughs> Top that. Um, well, because I'm older, I came to it kind of, uh, well, obviously, when I was older. <laughs> um, but, uh, and in a kind of 
backward way, I suppose, because um, I I saw the films before I read the books. Right. Um, and I think maybe because I was probably around. Do you know what year the first book came out? You must know. You were seven. What year was that? What year the first book, book was published? Came out must have been. I don't know. I don't know Give if I take. read it right when it came 90s. out. Early nineties? No, 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 it was later. like late nineties. I would have said I think like late nineties, like seven. Yeah. So I was. I feel like right at that age where someone's trying to convince themselves in the world that they are a full blown adult. You know, seventeen, eighteen. So I feel like I've, I, I. Um, Perhaps if I had already been really into fantasy, I would have gone for it. But at right. the time, I felt at the age when you I was have to trying to show, that you like, I was like, I'm going to read stories. fucking Proust, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. Show, prove to myself in the world how, how um, brilliant. I hope that's the headline of this article. <laughs> I'm going to read fucking Proust. <laughs> like, you know, like, Catherine how Waterston. grown up I was, you know? Or like, James Joyce or something, you yeah. know? And so, I... And and also I have this aversion to bestsellers, so yep. if I can see a book on the subway, I'm I'm not going to read it. And she's um, too literary to go with the grain, but, or but, too know, rebellious. And, goes, I, I was like, I didn't see a Steven Spielberg movie until I was about 35 years old. Yeah, because and, I just thought they were too popular. You know, like I everyone always, likes yeah, them, so I'm not going. Exactly, to I want to make the decisions on my own, and I don't want to be influenced by the yeah. masses or have to engage with them about you know, oh my God, you didn't see it or you did. I yeah. I, I guess I'm just a bit more private in that way, but um. So, so I saw the films first, and um, I, and I saw my little brother get completely absorbed into the world of of Harry Potter and read the books and everything, and I, and I was aware that the world around me that there was this total mania about it, but I, I kind of missed it, and then, uh, and only in retrospect am I happy that that's how it went down because I read the books while we were shooting the film, which are kind of in secret because I was I was pretty embarrassed that um, I hadn't read them yet. Um, you slipped uh, William Faulkner dust jackets over the... Yeah. <laughs> but really, to your question, I think even before I read the books, I felt... Um, I was very... I'd read about J.K. Rowling, and I was very aware of this massive influence she had had over a generation, and really got a, a generation reading, like... Um, maybe no one has since Dickens or something, and I mean, it was, it was just extraordinary, her influence, and... Um, you know, I knew her story and was so impressed with her, her pluck and determination and that she was writing in a cafe as a single mother and, 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 and that passion and the commitment to it uh, that I really identified with in my 20s when I was a struggling actor and, you know, you think of those people and you kind of have them in your mind in, in a sort of mantra to keep mm -hmm. you going that, um, not that you know one day you may have their success, but that 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 it's valid to pursue your creative impulses regardless of the outcome. Mm -hmm. and, you know, because she didn't write them because she knew she was going going to have the best-selling hits. She wrote them because she believed in them, and that was really, I suppose, the first way that I was exposed to her, aware. You know, that she the first way she influenced me. Now that I've read the book, so now I like much more understand what a extraordinary person she is and now I'm like completely starstruck whenever I see well, yeah. her. Was she around a little bit? Did you see how other people respond to her? Uh, yeah, well, when, when she, the first day she visited set, um, Eddie... 
Dan, Allison, and I, like moths to a flame, just like dropped our wands and whatever we we're doing on set and just walked towards her. I mean, it was she. She has an incredible magnetism, and also it was just so exciting to finally meet her because at that point we were well into shooting, and I'd already spent so much time with the character, and I felt so close to her just from from this really from um, developing this intimate relationship with the script and. Uh, yeah, I was like gobsmacked. I couldn't think of anything to say. And then she um, mercifully started speaking and broke the ice. And uh, then quite quickly... Yeah, she I think she's we were, used to that. We were gonna, yeah, get, yeah, she's used to it. She, we were going to get pulled back to set. And she started saying to each of us, you know, I'm not supposed to say anything about the next film, but... And she all, gave us all a few little things to think about, which was really generous. And, yeah, and then there was another time she came to set, and I had to work, and you didn't have to work, and you, out of the corner of our eyes, like Eddie and I were so fucking jealous. <laughs> you were in the corner with her, and she was, you were gabbing away, and we wanted to know everything that was being discussed, but we had to do our job. Were you talking about character? Were you talking about everything? It's fine. It's fine. Uh, enjoy your milk. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, I was just so thrilled to meet her and so overjoyed to be in her presence. Was that day the first day you met her? That was when I. That so was that the was only. Kind of that was near the, only time the I met end her. of the shoot. Yeah, it was. It was. It was well past the midway point. Yeah. Um, they didn't let her come around too much because she really did. She did really stop the production. Yeah, yeah everybody. <laughs> it was just like a power outage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is fantastic and where to find them. Now, David Gates has directed a ton of these Potter movies. He is deeply entrenched in the world of J.K. Rowling. And Eddie Redmayne, he's a little bit newer to her, but they're going to make five of these Newt Scamander movies, so we're going to be seeing a lot of him in the Wizarding world. I asked both of them how J.K. has influenced their lives. Here's what they had to say. I was, I had a little brother who was six years younger than me who read the books and was insistent that I read them and I actually wasn't very good with fantasy generally. I sort of related them I think at the time to, to I'd, I'd struggled when I was about nine or ten to read The Hobbit and I wasn't so sure and I was completely um, compelled by them. I found them wonderful and then I started reading the, the, watching the films when they came out and it was, for me it was this incredibly warm wondrous place to go back to every year or two and it felt familiar and new and I got to see some of my favorite actors doing kind of <laughs> extraordinary work and and so there was a great um it became like a consistent sort of um surprising comfort I suppose right. every year or two yeah. right. I was I was aware of it all but I, it was completely not part of my you know I was I was I had this mad television career so I was moving from project to project and I remember I was I was doing the music recording to one TV piece I think it was I think a show I did uh, called State of Play and we were in the we were in the big recording studio and every time there was a break the, the sort of orchestra would get out the these books these Harry Potter books and, the, and I said to the mix like, what are they reading right yeah. and, thought, and, it, and so it was it was this amazing thing that was happening over there yeah. and then one day I was walking in Cornwall after finishing a, a, a TV show and I got this phone call and said, they'd like you to direct Harry Potter, would you come and talk about it? And, and the show was called Sex Traffic. <laughs> you know? And so I thought, why on earth do they want me to go direct Harry Potter? Um, anyway, so, and, and then of course I read 
I dived in halfway through with the fifth book, Joe's fifth book, um, Order of the Phoenix, which was actually, you know, it was it was full of amazing ideas, and I was able to suddenly go, okay, time to catch up, and I went back and read everything. Um, but it had been it had been this extraordinary cultural event over there mm. when I was very much slightly blinkered in my own. As the star and as the director of that. Uh, are there nerves involved in this or do you just kind of try and forget what came before and do the work that's in front of you? Yeah, I mean, I would say the, the, the for, from my point of view anyway, st- stepping into this world, because David and David Heyman and J.K. Rowling had worked together so intimately mm-hmm. before and there was such a sort of symbiosis between them, there was a great sense of calm going into it and they created an environment in which we f- it sounds absurd but we literally felt like we were making an independent film and and and, the, and and when I look back on it the way in which you created that atmosphere was through allowing us to take ownership in some ways of so so silly things like on a film of this scale normally I would expect to arrive and be told, well, this is how you're going to do the creatures. And, then, and instead, David said, I want you to you know, go off for a, a month or two and work out whether you want to work with puppeteers, whether you want to work with actors, whether you want to work... And, and I got, got to investigate all of that side of it to meet the guys who were designing the creatures, to watch the genesis of the creatures, to go through the extraordinary process of costumes and props and, and was allowed a, a huge amount more... Access, which which is often on independent or smaller films, mm-hmm. because you're a smaller gang, right. you get you see a lot more of that, but very rarely on films of scale. And and what it meant was when we arrived on day one, we we felt like we were part of this really you know in the fabric of this thing rather than just turning up to to be a cog in a yeah. in a bigger machine. Stare at the tennis ball yeah, with exactly, the eyes on exactly. it. And, yeah, 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 yeah. The tension of or oh, the the sort of je- you know, it, it's weird. Uh, the legacy of those movies and those books, um, it's a difficult thing to follow, but what we were all inspired by was the script that Joe wrote. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. script. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think we felt the pressure necessarily during the making of the movie, because mm-hmm. you don't, because we're, we're all um, enjoying talent, you know, going to work and you get very focused with delivering something that you believe passionately in. Um, the, the the sort of scary bit is now really it's this moment it's this moment and and responding to this question and we wouldn't be human if yeah. we didn't for yeah. one minute go have we done it right yeah. Yeah. will it will it will it fly out the door will people respond to it I you know have the privilege of having watched it with um, a number of big audiences in America and in London when we tested it, you know, you take it out and you show it to people, they don't know what they're going to see. Um, they're not even Harry Potter fans, they're regular audiences, it's a blind recruit. Mm. You know, you don't go, you're a Harry Potter fan, right, you're so in, just yeah. people you know, off the street. regular people. Yeah. I know the movie works, I know people like it, I know a lot of people love it when they see it, I know, I can, I've been in there and I've felt the atmosphere when the, when the movie's running. So I kind of go, well people like it and some people love it. So I know the movie kind of works, but then I think then there's a whole process of so many eyes are on us, 
and there's the sort of that whole element of judging something mm. like this. Mm-hmm. It, it gets so much more scrutinised maybe yeah. than an average film that yeah, comes yeah. out in an average yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the bar is high, and so that just makes you your heart beat a bit quicker. Mm. But my feeling is we've all done a you know we've we've done it with with good faith and good heart, and we've all put our heart and soul into it, and we've made a good film, and I think that's 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 what we set out to do and it's in the world now so I like that there's not an ounce of cynicism in it mm. anywhere yeah I mm. think that is an easy default that that is so often mm. uh, gets leaned back on and in particularly these days it's not an ounce of cynicism in it it felt old-fashioned to me in the very best ways yeah. I, I felt like I was watching uh, a really great Judy Holiday impression from Allison I thought <laughs> that I was uh, watching you know uh, Laurel and Hardy and Abner Costello in Dan's performance yeah. and in the Orzo yeah. to yeah. an extent. Yeah. Do you know what was interesting for us, I think, also, or for me, when I read the script, is what I, um, and hearing you talk about it in those terms, is kind of interesting, was, was that there was, there was a thriller quality to the film, there was a kind of darkness to it, um, and yet there were these comedic elements, yeah, yeah. and there was a romantic side, and, and, and the heart that we felt from the... Potter films, but the honest truth is, when I got to that last moment of Dan, you know, Jacob, you know, I was doing one of those when I was reading the script. And as an actor, like, I've done films in which the scripts are good and there's an alchemy, and the films end up not being good, or the scripts are bad, and something happens. You can never judge that, but all you can go on is an instinct. And I couldn't quite believe that J.K. Rowling had managed to weave these genres that felt so so many of them and it's odds with each other yet into something that felt whole and complete mm-hmm. and um and and that that was the thing that kind of struck me um most about the piece and so there's four more to come yep. that's we're not thinking about those yet well, I, we guess, t- right? I guess you are but i mean you're not really we're sort of prepping the second one so we've got we've got plans for two we've got a script for two which we're developing and it's it's really fun very different to the first one but you know, it's like climbing a mountain. You just do them one at a time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, but yeah. Joe. Interestingly, the thing about Joe is when she wrote the first one, um, there was a pro- about a third way through. She was. She'd always planned a trilogy, but she was thinking on that first one. I'm not sure I want to write two and three. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna arc out the story and Steve, you write them, because this write this screenplay lark. It's really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. to sort of balance all those mm. things, as you yeah. said, yes. is really tricky. Yeah. By the time we got to the end of the first one, though, and she'd found what she really wanted to say, um, she said, I'm going to write two and three. And then when she started writing the second one, we had a meeting about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, we were in a room together, and she said, you know, I said it was a trilogy. I think it's five movies, and I'm going to write them all. So she's kind of like, as, she, as the story's spinning out of her, she's kind of like her ambition is growing and growing and growing her confidence is growing and growing, and growing in this particular form and so she's it's kind of like it's a fluid process but you know who knows let's see let's get this first one, out. The first one yeah let's get the first one out <laughs> Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them will not be hard to find. It's a movie that's going to be playing on every screen, in every neighborhood, in every city, in every county, in every country of the world for the next few weeks. And if you are a Harry Potter fan, I think you'll find that this is a lovely addition to the wizarding world. Rules Don't Apply is a new film from producer, star, actor, writer, 
Warren Beatty. He's an Oscar award winner who's been working on this movie for a very long time. Warren Beatty has his own pace. He hasn't directed a movie in 18 years. He hasn't starred in one in about 15 years. Uh, he's back with this film that he's been thinking of making for a long time. Howard Hughes, the filmmaker, studio owner, airline owner, generally eccentric kind of dude, uh, was one of the most colorful figures of the 20th century. And Betty had long thought about making a film about him in the 70s. I think he started to work on it. He put it away. He went back to it. He put it away. Now he's back to it, except it's in a much different form. It's not a Howard Hughes biopic. He plays Howard Hughes as one of the supporting characters in a story that is a nostalgic look back at 1950s Hollywood, an aspiring actress, her limo driver boyfriend, and of course the eccentric billionaire. I spoke with Lily Collins, who plays the aspiring actress. Uh, we talked about her character, we talked about lots of other things, and we will follow up with my conversation with Warren Beatty. Uh, now, he is an interesting interview. Uh, I've edited down some of the long pauses, and I've edited down some of the non-starter kind of questions, because here's a guy who's been interviewed thousands of times since the late 50s, and he knows what he wants to talk about and what he doesn't want to talk about. I've spared you uh, some of the awkward pauses. Anyway, I loved meeting him. He offered me a piece of watermelon when I came into the room. Uh, he's a gracious and charming guy, uh, and I think you'll find from the interview an individual as well. Tell me um, what I need to know about Marla. What did you learn about her that, that isn't immediately apparent on the screen? Well, I learned that, you know, Marla is, as I remember being at that age, feels like she knows everything about everything. Um, and, you know, feels like she has her head on straight and that she knows where she's going and how things are going to play out. But we don't always know how things are going to play out. And sometimes it takes going through the ups and downs to discover how you act in those situations and then how you mature and how you become a strong, independent woman. And much like her, I'm very, very close with my mom, but there was a, a period in my life where I realized, all right, well, I have to pull away at some point to become my own person. And I didn't know how much that that was actually going to inform me about Marla and, and define her journey. And I, and I, as I was shooting it, realized, wow, we are so similar. And I'm learning a lot more about her through myself and vice versa. Well, it's interesting. I like parts in movies that have no dialogue or very little dialogue that tells you everything you need to know about the character. I was just talking about that. Like, and, I 100% well, agree. Well, for me, the, the scene is when your mother says, we're going back to, I can't remember exactly yeah. what it was, and, uh, and you said, I'll help you pack, and you're hugging her at the same time. Yeah. So what that says to me is that you are uh, headstrong, you love your mother, there's the, there's yeah. the hug, yeah. there's the thing, but you're gonna, you're being unequivocal in telling her, well, it's time, maybe time for you to hit the road, because yeah. I am now, I'm, I'm breaking free, right? Yeah. And it was a, it's, an, a, it's a great moment, um, because it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. I think, or a lot. And I think that Warren was very, um, you know, impassioned to have more of those moments, as I, I prefer sometimes when so much can be said without no dialogue, because it's, it's like in old movies, you know, editors and directors allowed there to be more breathing room, and it was slower paced, and it wasn't cut, 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 and you got to watch someone react, and then act upon words they had just heard, or not. And... You just lived and breathed in the moment, and you didn't have to say anything. And I think that he wanted that in this film. And they trusted their audience. 
Exactly. Audiences are smarter than we think they are. And, and that's what I always say. When you're given so much information or it's gratuitous dialogue to explain how someone feels, it's like you don't need to f explain an emotion, show an intention, and the audience will feel hopefully what it is that the characters feel like. If not, don't tell them how to feel. Well, for me, I, I, I write about film here. Yeah. And so I'm finding myself more times than not writing things like they, th this movie doesn't trust the audience mm. and they have to react to every single thing that happens in the movie which yeah. is why movies are two and a half hours long now yeah. because they'll do something and then they'll say my god did you just yeah. and they will describe right, it, right, it right, because right, right. they don't think that we're smart enough to yeah. get it and this movie doesn't do that thank you yeah. I appreciate that I just think after all that time we, we keep saying the audience is smarter so why don't people act on it yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you're doing some television now, uh, yes. and, and I think television is treating audiences like they're smart. Shows mm. like, I haven't seen The Last Tycoon uh, yet, I will, but uh, Preacher and uh, The True Detective and mm. things like they're not telling the audience anything, yeah. and they're just assuming that the audience will stay along for the ride, so TV's doing it right. Yeah, and, and you them. keep wanting to watch, and those are the cliffhangers. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited. We, we shot the pilot and it got picked up, so I start in January. And oh, dude, yeah. yeah, I'm really excited. Congratulations. More period. For me. I know, more Hollywood period yeah, stuff. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. And will that be shot in LA too? Yes. Really? I so know. I cool. get to shoot it at Paramount Studios, like really? classic, you know, genuine, like yeah, going yeah. around the golf cart dressed in the 1930s. It's like, come on, really? Is that right? Yeah. Wow, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, Marla is, uh, for me, also an interesting character because we see the real arc that she has from, you know, Southern Baptist, mm. uh, you know, young woman who is very prim and proper, and then a little less so uh, yeah. later on in the film. Fun to play an arc like that? Oh, totally. Especially one, again, that I could relate to. I mean, starting out in acting in Hollywood, very wide-eyed, innocent, naive, wanting to please everyone and having my mom there with me and... Um, Marla was very, you know, adamant and passionate and determined and steadfast and strong-willed. All these things that I felt like I was when I started. And I think it's, it's through her determination that she sets herself apart from everybody else. And then things don't go her way. And it's, it's does she stay true to her morals and her values or does she let Hollywood take her? And I think it's, it's commendable what she chooses and what she does but she still has a soft spot in her heart for it. She doesn't, you know, completely exit out of her life. She doesn't um, look down on it or resent it. She looks back on it as a period in her life that she very, that very much made her a part of who she is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a very interesting place to play it as opposed to someone who's in something and then completely out. And I think that that would be the black and white version, whereas there really is no black and white version. Yeah, it's nuanced. Yeah. It's all about nuance. Exactly. Um, last night during the Q&A, you said uh, about Mr. Beatty some words to the effect of, well, I've learned things from him, mm -hmm. different than various things from him. And it seemed to me uh, like it was a way of looking at things, a way yeah. of perhaps of looking at scripts, a way of breaking things down. Describe to me, if you can, yeah. what you took away from him specifically on this experience. Um, well, he would, whenever we would do a scene, he kept saying, well, what are you doing? What is your action? What is your action? What is your intention? What is your action? And at the beginning, you know, you read a script, and as someone who'd never broken it down in, in the way that he had, I'd be like, well, you know, right now she's really emotional. She's sad. She she misses her mom. She show me what that looks like. And you'd go, oh, I can't because it's an adjective. Okay, well, okay. He'd like put it into words, put it into a verb. And the second that I started breaking down a scene based on verb, 
it didn't matter if I cried when it said Marla cries because as long as my intention was the same as what her intention was, whatever naturally occurred, occurred. And nothing was fake, nothing was put on, nothing was really acted. And I think an audience, again, they're smart. They can tell. If, if something seems fake or put on, they will not associate with it. They will not feel for it. And by now acting through intention, it's almost taken a lot of stress away as well because writers write scripts based on what they see in their head as happening. Well, they're not in the scene as the actor. So if they aren't in the scene as the actor, they can't necessarily say, all right, now and cry or laugh or, you know, casting is plot, like Warren said, and that's something I've learned. And once you cast people, you, you really, you have to kind of take into consideration other ideas and to see where a script goes based on in the moment and improv. And sometimes things happen that are written, sometimes they don't. And you just have to go with it. And if you're too pre-planned, you're going to miss out on the magic of the moment. And, yeah. It's like a master class in acting. Oh my god. Way. I mean, I wrote I wrote a journal every day on <laughs> um, this movie. Yeah, so I have all these tidbits of information and things I witnessed that I can now draw on because I would have been a fool not to yeah, remember yeah. it all. It's funny because he doesn't make that many movies. Mm. You know, it's been 15 years since Town & Country, 18 since Bullworth. And you until you see him on the screen, sometimes I forget a little yeah. bit about uh, how simple he keeps performances. And I guess that's what you're talking about, yeah. the intention of, you know, yeah. every every scene has an intention, every movement has an intention, yeah. but it's simple. And I think that's something that you learn for doing it for 60 years. Yeah, I mean, I believe me, I was soaking in everything. I'm like, teach me, please. <laughs> Even when I was tired and I was like, I don't know, I think subconsciously I soaked in everything because I thought, I mean, honestly, it's a joy and an honor to even be in this situation. So if I don't learn from it, I mean, you could just pick somebody else. I mean, I, I need to take in everything that I can. Is it fair to say that this is perhaps one of the more untraditional movie-making experiences? Completely untraditional. Yeah. Nothing about this was traditional. And you know what? I think that's what makes it stand out to me. I mean, like I said last night, I, I saw this as, as making a picture and not shooting a movie. It, 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 there are so many things about this that were organic and strange and weird but all for a greater purpose that I didn't necessarily understand until you get out of it and you step back and you go, oh wow, like he does know what he's doing. He really <laughs> does. Um, and to be a part of that process in any way, shape or form is, it's so informing for me of, of where I want to go to next. This thing with these quick interviews is, um, I don't know, I mean. It's a little tougher. You know, I mean, when I started doing this 20, however many years ago it was, we used to get an hour. Or you would get, sometimes you'd spend a day with somebody yeah. or, you know. Uh, but uh, for, the, the, the business has changed considerably. So now you're looking at, you know, four or five minutes for a television interview, 10 or 15 for a print interview. Well, it's interesting. I think I talked to you last night about brevity. That's right. 10-minute interview, quickie. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's frightening. Marriages are more brief. Movies are more brief. <laughs> That's right. Um, um, the attention spans. Attention span is brief. Everything is. I don't know. I always think of Hattie McDaniel's line. And Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I don't know nothing about birthing babies, Miss Scarlett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, what's so, new? Well, it's interesting. You said something last night after the Q and A. You were talking about we were talking about fame, and you said that you know Howard Hughes and 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 Greta Garbo, people like that, mm-hmm. chose to withdraw. They 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 could yeah. do that then. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. Right. And and I've been thinking about that mm-hmm. ever since. I've been thinking about sort of the idea of fame and how it's changed because you've been famous for. 55, it was 1961, right? right? So, so 55... I would say 59. 59, yeah. 59. So it's a long time. We're talking yeah. a very long time. And it must have changed in hills and valleys. How, uh, how, what's your take on how different it is to be famous today than it was perhaps earlier on? Uh, the thing that immediately springs to mind is that... Uh, that um, the level of inaccuracy about a person now, of, 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 of publicized inaccuracy, is uh, hugely increased. And it's been gradual. But we've seen, to some extent, um, this thing called paper, made from trees, uh, has... Um, gone into another uh, place in this new technology which allows anybody to say anything. I think, uh, uh, um, was I talking to you last night about Oliver Wendell Holmes? No. Uh, No, well, you know, he he said, you know, Holmes was Chief Justice and and that that, in relation to freedom of speech, yes, we have freedom of speech, but but you you cannot yell falsely, yell fire in a theater. Mm-hmm. Well, I w- I think I think you can now, and uh, anybody can say anything about anybody, and they can say it as loud as they want. And uh, what I would say that there is a cacophony that is come to be, I, I avoid the word evolved, <laughs> a cacophony that, that has come to uh, squelch uh, voices of wisdom in most every area, um, certainly in politics uh, and also in the art forms. Uh, and and uh, I... I uh, I, I, I think we're going to have to find some way to cope with that because uh, dis- disasters may ensue. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but I, I, would, I would say uh, that, that that's uh, prevalent and, and, and the brevity of of everything yeah. brevity of any controversy the brevity of the discussion on for instance uh, global warming uh, okay we talked about that now let's move on to the next but we didn't solve anything right. and um, and what we do with the attention span is a big challenge what would you say to Lily Collins 
than someone who is going to be extremely famous someday. She's grown up around it a little bit with her father, but what would you say to her then, in terms of what we were just talking about, in terms of how fame has changed, in terms of coping, would you have any words of advice for her? If asked, sure. Where did sort of the idea for this film come from? I know that you never met Howard Hughes and that it's not a biopic of Howard Hughes, but he's a, he's a, a starting off point. He must have been. Um, I was um, very, uh, what I would say is I've all been, always been quite amused by Howard Hughes, mm-hmm. that, uh, that the unusual nature of his uh, life um, struck me and how paralleled sometimes we could say it is to the life of a uh, Hollywood celebrity and that he nurtured that by hiding mm-hmm. and by doing unusual and sometimes very impressive uh, things. He, he, he made the most expensive movie ever made at that time. He the biggest airplane ever and so on and so forth. Um, I, I, I saw him since what I've always been interested in doing over that concerning the period of when I came to Hollywood, 1958, is uh, to investigate or deal with or examine the what I would call the uh, often comical but sometimes sad consequences of um, uh, American sexual puritanism, that thing that has so often made us the laughing stock of France and other uh, uh, European countries, that 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 um, that. Um, Howard Hughes, um, that, and I, and I, I, I never wanted. I, I, I've always felt that I would like to deal with this subject with a certain amount of humor. Um, you know, I come from Virginia. Um, I, uh, uh, which is the, the the heart of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest uh, religious organization in America. Um, that I, I, I felt that it, it would be touching to do a story about um, two young kids who, who are religious. Uh, uh, Marla, Lily's character from the state of Virginia, and, uh, and Frank's character from Fresno, who's a Methodist. She's a Baptist, he's a Methodist, and... Uh, and um, and how they uh, dealt with this thing that was happening, which we would have to say is that burst of feminism that was beginning to take place in the 50s, and particularly the late 50s. <coughs> Excuse me. And, the, and its continuance through the 60s, etc., and the effects of all that on what we now call uh, the sexual revolution of the 60s. And... Um, and uh, how it was dealt with, let's say, in um, the circumstance of Hollywood, which uh, would be a sort of a commercialized sexuality, and um, and um, and I think that by using the um, the two kids who are uh, they they're not wealthy at all. And this man of unlimited inherited wealth, 
um, and uh, the ridiculous uh, circumstances that he required in the way he conducted his daily life. I never met him, you know, but what I, I, I sometimes feel I met everybody who had met him. <laughs> and that, uh, and, and, and no one, uh, I knew all of them fairly well, and no one ever really spoke ill of him. They, they, they liked him. And so I, I felt that uh, it, it was uh, a good grounds for um, a, a movie that could be um, entertaining and, uh, and have something to say about the consequences of this thing that God knows where it came from, whether it was the Massachusetts Bay Colony or Jamestown, Virginia or whatever, a way of thinking that is uh, unusual in, in our, um, for instance, our resistance to something sexual, but our lack of resistance to violence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and um, I mean, this this is something. If you if you watch Canadian television, we're fine with nudity. We don't even uh -huh, we don't uh -huh. blur things out. We don't do that sort of thing. Uh -huh. uh, we're a little more strict on violence than right. you watch American television. Right. It's the, the yes. inverse completely in yes. films too. Yes. Yes. And and it's deeply ingrained. Yes. And you've also had a different healthcare system. We do. And we have that as well. We do have that as well. Yes. Yeah. What do you hope people take away from the film? What do people take away? Yeah, what do you hope people take away? Or is it an entertainment for people to uh, uh, discuss and, and 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 you know find their own message in? I think you've said it better than I could say it. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, um, I think, I think the m movie is kind of fun. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that, uh, yeah. And, uh, let's talk about Lily. Just, I just mm -hmm. finished uh, speaking with her. And, you know, when you meet her, she's a spark plug. I mean, she's wonderful. Like she's got, so there's a real life yeah. to her. Yeah. And a real life behind the eyes, it looks like, you know. Yes. Um, uh, what was it about her when you first met her that, you, because you've worked with for years with her, did it, it was a couple of years, I think, was it? From the time In the making you, of the movie. In the making of the movie, yeah. Well, not, not that long, but, but it was extended. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're going to be spending some time with her. What was it that made you say, I want to spend an investment well, it, time it's, and it's, it's hard to define. I believe very much in what I call the blink. And that is that the, superior, the superiority of the unconscious knowledge as compared to the conscious knowledge, that, 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 that knowledge that we, when we sit and we really give it some thought, and we give it the thought that we feel it's due, and how misleading that thought can be when we could have trusted our initial instinct, the blink. Right. Uh, because I think um, that the unconscious is, uh, uh, has a lot more intelligence in it than the conscious. So it was a blink with Lily. I can only say that I love the way she looked, I love the way she sounded, I love the way she talked. and. Uh, there was an integrity about her that I felt I could believe in this circumstance and at the same time she looked like someone to me who uh, Hollywood would uh, want to exploit. Right. Right. That's how I would say it and I, I would 
I would say um, all of those things about Alden uh, um, um, also highly intelligent. I think both of them are going to be producer, directors, or whatever. And uh, they are a sign of the times that it's now possible for people to, with the phasing out of what we call the studio system, the decline of what we have called the star system. Mm -hmm. And um, that I think they both have the, the, the qualifications to do uh, uh, really creative stuff and uh, are entertaining enough and attractive enough to hold our interest uh, in, a, in a very nice way. I think so too. I was looking last night at them, and they're both just so charismatic. Yeah. I mean, there's just something you can't take your eyes off. Yeah. When you're on screen. Yeah. 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 That is our time. This, this is so yeah. crazy that we can only <laughs> be for a short time. If you if you have uh, the other things you want to kibitz about or something, give me a call. Uh, well, absolutely. Yeah. How cool is that? That was Warren Beatty talking about the new movie, Rules Don't Apply. Uh, thanks for stopping by, but right now, time for you to get on out of here. Do not let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. I want to thank Lily Collins. I want to thank Warren Beatty, Ezra Miller, Catherine Waterston, David Yates, and Eddie Redmayne for dropping by. Most of all, though, thanks to you. Thanks for coming by every week. Be sure to stop in every Monday. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. We put a new show up every single Monday. And who knows, one of your favorite people may stop by the House of Krause.